I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hey, this is David Scales. Before we get into today's show, I just wanted to remind you that the Rio Pro is coming up in less than a week. So if you want to participate in our Fantasy Surfer Club, um, all the directions for how to do so are on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Just click on the Fantasy Surfer uh, link, tab, page, and all the directions for how to set your team are there. And then also, if you'd like to wager, this is your reminder to get your wager in before the first heat starts. That's all done via PayPal. And again, the directions to do so are on surfsplendorpodcast.com. All right, lock in your team, send your wager, and we'll look forward to another exciting event. All right, enjoy today's show. It's just bizarre that it's going to be, you know, a few years. It'll be 50 years, you know. That is and, bizarre. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing, it's been an amazing, amazing journey. Um, a huge part of our, uh, a huge part of our life. All of, you know, our best friends that we have have come through our work with, with the Bonzer. Um, you know, wives, everything. You know, we've met all through, you know, our work with with the surfboards and uh, it's your so, life's work man yeah so you know it's just there's no separation basically yeah. so it's just that's it is what we do and it's what we are and Duncan does the same thing in Hawaii with as with Cafe Haleiwa and now with the Bonzer Front they have a family business over there and uh, we just sort of uh, with those two his two businesses there and, and the surfboard business and we just really that's the way we approach it is there's no separation between business and mm-hmm. our life so. that was the voice of Malcolm Campbell who, along with his brother Duncan, created the Bonzer surfboard design. For all intents and purposes, the Bonzer is the first truly functional, high-performance, three-finned surfboard design. In today's episode, we discuss the Bonzer design, the role it's played in surfing, and the surf world's quirky social dynamics that sometimes push, but often impede board design evolution. 
We're bringing it to you straight from Malcolm's Kitchen in his home in Oxnard, California. I'm your host, David Scales, and this is Surf Splendor. You know I will be coming home. Yeah, when that foghorn whistle blows. Uh, well, we moved up here in 1966 with my parents. Uh, we grew up actually in the Pacific Palisades. Oh, okay. And we were there, like I say, until 1966. And um, I hadn't really started surfing until we moved up here. Okay. But we were always at the beach. My dad was a swimmer, uh, body surfer, and uh, he, they always had we they always had us at the beach. And so we were body surfing, skimboarding, bellyboarding, doing all that down the Palisades. And Duncan actually was standing up on a bellyboard. Mm. Uh, probably 65 before we moved up, you know, before we moved up here. One of those old Malibu pop-out belly boards that Jack Surf used to sell. I'm curious, did you guys, did you have an awareness of the Malibu surf scene at that time? I mean, that was no, pretty prominent at the same time, right? Not personally. I mean, we okay. would go up there every once in a while just for, you know, going to the beach. But we used to see, because uh, we were at State Beach, right, at the bottom of yeah. Chautauqua Boulevard. And so so that's where we were would hang at the beach. And back then, there actually used to be sandbars that used to break really? down again. And, and so we used to see Mickey Dora come down. We knew who he was. Okay. And, but, you know, we were younger. And again, like I said, we weren't really in the surf surf scene per se um just more of just the beach scene and uh like you know i was i was born in 52 so when we moved up here i was still only 14 so we were young kids duncan actually stood up on that like i said on the belly board he was 11 Mm. uh and uh when he was 11 and that was sort of the beginning of his surfing Mm. but then we moved up here in 66 and to oxnard shores and there really wasn't a big surf culture here. There was a lot of surfing. There was surfing going on, and obviously Rincon being a major spot, you know, up in Santa Barbara, world, you know, world known, and and uh, so Yater and you know all that, yeah. the crew and different wilderness crew and and the beginnings with Greeno and all that was going on up there. But in Oxnard, there really wasn't a whole heck of a lot going on. There were a few good longboard surfers. And uh, but extremely uncrowded. Mm-hmm. There wasn't very many people surfing down here. And we were living at the beach, and so that summer of uh, summer of '66 um, is when '66 uh, and '67 we started surfing. Surfing on what? Um, I actually had a longboard. I got that. I think it was Phil Cabo or Phil Cabo mm. longboard. Um, and Duncan had a old kind of eight eight six Dewey Weber. Wow! And uh, so those were our first our first real surfboards on the beach breaks in Oxnard, or where were you surfing? Yeah, just here at the beach breaks. Okay, and Oxnard Shores, uh, Hollywood Beach, and Silver Strand. Yeah, yeah. how were the waves different back then? Or um, yeah, it's a little bit different. I mean, Silver Strand's probably more the same. Or this more was still as as approximately the same as it was back then. Okay, but uh, Oxnard Shores has changed a lot. Um, actually, in the '60s and the '70s, you probably the waves were more consistently good. The sandbars were 
the sandbars were better. And I'm not really sure exactly why that happened, but during the 80s, it, you know, it was really uh, the sandbars would come and go a lot more. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if any spots have actually gotten better over that time or if there's new spots that exist now that didn't exist then. I suppose there's uh, spots that you can ride now based on equipment that... Well, I think I think I think more spots are ridden now just for the sheer fact that of necessity because okay. there's so many more people surfing. Um, because from the time we started and, and we're able to get mobile, yeah, you know, get mom's station wagon and, and <laughs> cruise around, um, you know, all the same spots, uh, most of the same spots, the spots that everybody surfed back then are still served with the exception of Stanley's. Uh, Stanley's is gone because of the freeway uh, when they expanded and built the freeway and the freeway on-ramp right there at Seacliff. So Stanley's no longer exists. Um, There was also a a spot called Tanks, which is just south of um, uh, Pitus Pitus Mm -hmm. Point that actually was a pretty good beach break, and that sort of disappeared. But... Most of the spots, uh, it's you know, it's it's very similar to what it used to be. Um, you mentioned Yater in Santa Barbara. Who were, who were building boards in this community, or who was building boards? Um, in this there community? was uh, well in Ventura. There was um, uh, surfboards. It was surfboards Hawaii? So there was those boards. So there were they had a shop, and um, Maury Pope mm-hmm. obviously was. Um, pretty big and bill hubina and uh dennis Ryder, which was uh william dennis um they were early and they both worked for maury pope and then went on their own in oxnard there was silver strand uh silver strand surfboards uh john Schomer, and um, i'm not sure where west surfboards were built but people were riding west boards and there really wasn't too much yeah so when we started uh 68 was the first surfboard we shaped and and uh was obviously the beginnings of the shortboard revolution sure when just you know a foot at a time was coming off boards and and uh so that's that's when we you know when we started what was the motivation to start shaping um well, we always were kind of, well, my dad, you know, my dad was, a, my grandfather and my dad were both real crafty. They had, you know, wood shops and okay. so forth. So we were tool users. And then yeah. the big emphasis came, one of the reasons, because boards were changing so quickly. And my dad, one day, he just said, he kind of saw the writing on the wall. And he, he just said, he goes, hey, you guys, if, if you're going to, if you're going to try to keep up with the with the changes here, you're going to have to learn to make boards on your own because we ain't going to be able to buy you a new surfboard every six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And or you're going to need quite a job to support that habit sure. at this at this age. So, so then we said, you know, what the heck, and uh, stripped down the first. We like a lot of people stripped down an old longboard. Yeah, and that was the first board. The first board we shaped. Yeah, access to materials was probably pretty scarce at that point i would think um a little bit i mean you could get uh we were just learning actually one of the dave sweet was they were doing some actually molded uh some molded uh blanks that were almost 
you know, Finnish surfboards. Hmm. It was actually pretty ahead of its time. I, don't, I haven't really heard too much talk about that. I haven't heard that but, story. Um, we got a, a board that was, um, I actually think it was a 6.8. And uh, it was, you know, the, and we didn't have to, that was, we had done a, a couple boards. But then uh, we, we did that one. And we didn't have to shape it too much. You know, we really? took the skin off and and uh you know shaped it a little bit and so we used that and the standard brand sold resin and um sold resin and fiberglass mm -hmm. so i mean you get a basically you get the materials for a board for you know 35 dollars or sure. something between get a second blank from somebody and get a second blank and then resin fiberglass acetone it was you know yeah we stunk up our parents garage right and the house that's the way to start yeah what were um like with that first board for example or maybe the first few what were the designs that you were implementing what type um, of boards well were you initially building? we were just i mean the first board we just hacked out a you know just a single fin a single okay. fin board and and then we as we started seeing more of what other people were what other people were doing um you know we began to to uh you know get educated a bit more on you know templates and, okay. and so forth but we gravitated very quickly to what was going on in, Aust on in australia with okay. the shortboard revolution over there and we actually subscribed way back then to uh, uh surfing world so some of our early boards were really influenced. Some couple of real early twin fins we did were, uh, you know, Terry you know, sort of copying these little twin fins that Terry Fitzgerald and, and you know, Mark Warren and people were, were doing. And, and then uh, also some of the short boards, the more egg-like egg short boards mm -hmm. of, uh, and uh, boards, other strange sort of little boards from Ted Spence. Ted Spencer mm -hmm. and uh, um, Wayne, well, obviously Wayne Lynch and that sure. stuff. So midget fairly. So we started looking that direction is where we went. So we made a few single fins. Um, then in 1970, we shaped uh, the first Bonzer. Which I guess um, would be the introduction of the three fin surfboard, right? And it was 10 years prior to the thruster approximately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So where did that concept come from? Um, well, we were just, we were riding some twin fins. Um, and then, uh, and obviously we had a couple single fins and we were just talking with my dad one day and it was actually his original kind of thought. Uh, he said, why don't you guys, he goes, what about three, you know, what about three? And so we sat down and we, with him and, Duncan and I, from you know our limited surfing experience, at least we we, we knew how it felt to to ride a you know ride yeah. surfboards and turn and so forth. And so we sat down and and just kind of brainstormed what might uh, you know what might work. And and what we came up with was basically off of you know evolving out of the out of a single fin. Sure. Um, so we placed the, the long keel. The long keel-shaped runners or fins forward of the center fin and out toward the rail. I mean, originally, I think they were probably 11 and a half inches up, uh, I think, on the first board and 10 and a half inches long or something. Mm -hmm. So they were 
so we had looked at some boat design stuff and uh you know different things and and it was really just a more intuitive than anything else probably trial and error to a certain extent well yeah the first one was just yeah trial yeah <laughs> and then um uh you know we were going the first one was i think five four or something oh, wow. again that was because it was it was a little bit like some of those strange little boards that Ted Spencer was, uh, Ted Spencer and David Trelaw and different, you know, guys were riding these wide tail, mm-hmm. short wide tail boards. And, and, you know, wide tails, some of them were twin fins, some of them were single fins. And, um, so we were just at that point, we hadn't learned enough to really know too much about, um, forging out on our own template, template yeah. shape wise. But, you know, we were knew we were doing something different. And as far as it being the first three fin, we had done that one. And then a few months later, um, an article came out in Surfer Magazine and showed with Reno Avalara doing a bottom turn on a three fin board that he and Brewer had come up with. The difference, uh, and we looked at it and we went, oh, you know, we were going, oh, no, somebody else is thinking about this too. Sure. The difference being their fins were set to the side and rear of the center fin. Okay. And they were sort of half moon, uh, half moon shaped fins back kind of on the corner, you know, up from the tail a little bit, but still behind the center fin. Sure. As where ours were placed forward of the center fin. And a different shape. And, yeah. And, and more of a keel, keel shape. So in a sense, they were both low pro- low profile, sure. you know, keel type fins. The biggest difference was, we put the fins forward of the center fin, and they had it on the back. Neither of us knew that the other one was doing anything until that article came out. Mm. And uh, so um, they did a few, and then that was it. They sort of left, you know, left the idea on the on the shelf. Probably because the board's. I mean, if the board works, you pursue the idea, right? So I would imagine the board might not perform that well. Well, Reno. I mean, the boards. Reno has said that. Duncan knows Reno very well, my brother. He knows Reno really well and has had long conversations about that with Reno. Because Reno's, you know, he's got some bonzers, uh, some of our bonzers these days, or actually for quite a few years, and has made some himself. And and uh, so he and Duncan always have, uh, you know, a lot of conversations yeah. about stuff. And they just, they just didn't, you know, the boards had good, their boards had good characteristics. They just didn't stick with it. Okay. And on the other hand, what we found after riding that first one, and you know, I've told this story lots of times, but the first time we took out the bonzer the, the, that we, or, you know, the first bonzer that we made, the first turn, with even with our limited surfing experience, the first turn, you could tell right away that this was really something of, of value. And I know it sounds silly, but it's not an exaggeration. Mm. Like I said, you know, there's, you know, it was a backside, you know, it was a left, and I surfed backside. And the first bottom turn, compared to the single fins and twin fins we were riding, it was just a quantum, quantum difference. In what way? In terms of speed and control. Okay. Because this is a very wide tail board, mm-hmm. and uh, you could tell right away that you had, you had uh, the uh, the speed that you'd get out of the wide tail board. But you would have the control on, you know, with the bottom, you know, with bottom turns and edge control was the sure. biggest thing because that what was 
lacking in wide-tailed twin fins and, and single fins was that edge control. So immediately, because of the side, the long profile side fin runner, you would get you would really amplify your, the ability to use your edges in mm-hmm. turns on a short wide board. So you were getting drive, speed, and carry um, out of the fins, um, and then the maneuverability out of the board being so short. Right. So we knew right away that we had something, and then it was pretty much from that day on. Okay what are we going to do with this? Right. And so what that involved was educating, learning to surf better, obviously, but educating ourselves uh, as far as just making surfboards. Um, I'm interested in the relationship that exists for shapers and board designers. That is um, the testing process. I think for a lot of other people who deal with hydrodynamics outside of surfing, they can take things into a laboratory environment probably. And a lot of that testing is not based on their own ability, you know, their surfing ability. So I'm curious what the limitations are in that relationship. You know, like you said, we learned to become better surfers while we were learning about the hydrodynamic principles and those things probably went hand in hand. But I guess I'm just kind of curious about what the limitations are of that. And I suppose at a certain point you rely on other surfers to give feedback. And what, you know, how does that, how does that work? And are well, there yeah, limitations? That, yeah, that's a good observation. Um, and basically, I would say that the maybe the development of the Bonzer initially was a tad slower than it could have been if we okay. were already accomplished surfers. But we also had the advantage of living in an area where there wasn't a lot of peer pressure for anything. Um, It was just this is basically the hinterlands of Southern California surfing. And it was, you know, kind of the wild west in a way. Mm -hmm. And so we and so we were learning to surf and build surfboards simultaneously in terms of, you know, developing our abilities in both simultaneously. And with the access to good surf and, you know, lack of lack of crowds and so forth, uh, that was a big, that was a nice advantage to have. Sure. Um, so it, I think they fed each other because the bonds are enabled us to surf better, more quickly than we would have learned without the bonzer. Interesting. Um, so, I mean, I look at, not to blow our own horn, but I, I mean, I look at old photos from that Craig Feynman uh, and some of our old, you know, other photos back from, say, 1973, um, which is the year we took the design to Bing. By 1972-73, we were serving pretty well. Okay. And so our learning curve, again, like I say, I'm sure it was much faster because of of the Bonser. Um, What are the other design elements? We talk about three fins and those two side fins being keel-shaped. What are the other design elements in concert with those fins that make up a Bonser? Well, the first year uh, shaping the bonzers, we basically just had a normal bottom. It was, you know, flat up forward with some V going through the tail area and the fins uh, and the fin fin area. So we just had basically it was a slight V bottom three fin. Okay. Um, the second year in 72, we started putting uh, a 
single to double concave okay. on, on the board. So the, there was single concave forward of the fins, and then going through the fin area, it went turned to a double concave with a little bit of V. And that was something that other board builders were doing as well? No. Or you had... No. Okay. No, no. Maybe somebody out there <laughs> like somewhere. The sure. But um, in terms of the single to double concave, I haven't seen any evidences of it. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe somebody can drag something up, but sure. but so it was a single double concave with slight V through the fin area and the three fins, um, and that's really what comprises essentially still the Bonzer today. And the single, obviously, the single to double concave concept has you know become standard. Absolutely, yeah. and obviously different shape, you know, different shape fins than than ours. And yeah. you know, when Simon. Uh, when Simon did his fins and, and uh, that evolved. But the single to double concave bottom um, has really become the, the standard for high performance surfboards. Yeah. So I, you know, we came up with a three fin board with single to double concave. And that was, I think, I don't know, the best way to describe it. I, I still think that I. I mean, I think that it's probably the most comprehensively original design. Yeah. Um, function. Well, let's say functional design. Right. Uh, yeah, definitely in the history of shortboards, but uh, I know it's. But maybe in surfboards. Sure. And I'm not. You know, I I don't like to, you know, grandstand or anything, but. When something, the basic idea that we came up with that many years ago is still, you know, cutting edge. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know any other way to, yeah, to to put it. We talk about the bottom. Uh, that is what defines the bonzer. Are there? Is there anything in terms of outline that defines the bonzer or length? Can a bonzer be? A five-foot board and a ten-foot board. Yes, got it. Actually, and that's one of the unique things about the Bonzer is that it's a system. Mm. It's 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 a system more than a surfboard mm. because the combination the the combination of the three originally the three fin with the single the double concave and then in '83 we we uh, did a five fin version. We began doing right. the five fin version again with the same. Uh, single to double concave, and and the the bottoms changed. It's mellowed over the years. I mean, okay. the early ones were extremely deep, and I've seen a couple so, photos. Yeah, <laughs> extremely deep and everything. But you know, it's just you evolve uh, from you know over the years and, and uh, refine things. But um, it is more of a system than it is a surfboard. Um, the Bonzer works on sailboards. It works on kneeboards. It works on longboards. It works on you know any kind of shortboard. Um, and that's uh, one of the really uh, interesting things that we found over the years is that that it basically can be used on anything. Right. So you just need to to make the proper board for the the proper board for the proper conditions and right and make it a bonzer. I think that's an important point, um, and a reason why I'm glad to be having the conversation with you is because prior to really researching having this conversation my awareness of the bonzer seemed something else not a novelty but just 
there's longboards and there's fish and there's a bonzer and all the footage and media that I see related to it almost has a novelty act feel. They'll make a video section and put a cheeky song and make the footage black and white and grainy to make it look different and old school. And the realization that I've come to is that's really kind of a disservice to the bonzer and that it's like a vehicle. You can have a hybrid in a car or a truck or a van. The hybrid is the bonzer. You know, it applies to anything. It's not strictly limited to a design, a vehicle design. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we're going into the, well, we're in the 45th year here of, right. this, of this this project. Yeah. And we've, it's run the gamut from, at first, uh, the criticisms have come from all, you know, many different directions not necessarily all some criticisms and some uh, a lot of pigeonholing. Yeah, I mean, we grew up surfing in this area. The original footage, uh, or still footage, was uh, you know it's Craig Feynman and stuff in Surfer Magazine and surfing. So in, er- in invariably it was in in good surf. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're surfing Silver Strand. The waves are hollow, right, and whatnot. So for years, the boards uh, had the uh, uh, were sort of pigeonholed as. Uh, they only work in good surf. Right, right, right. Um, and, and that was just de facto. That was where we were surfing the waves. We weren't always surfing good waves, but the only pictures that are going to get in a magazine are pictures of people surfing good waves. Right. No one cares about somebody surfing a two-foot two you know, yeah. slop. And uh, so the boards always worked in all conditions. Again, you just had to make the, right, the proper board for the right, for the right uh, condition. And it's a very complex... It's far too too much to get into uh, in terms of sort of the evolution of perception of the bonds are mm-hmm. in, in, in comparison to reality. Sure. I mean, if you look at there's a picture that maybe a lot of the people have seen. It, it, it went viral over this couple of times this last within the last few months of Taylor Knox doing a cutback at Velzyland with all five of his fins showing. It was a water shot. And you know that's on a six, that's on a six-one contemporary shortboard shape. Mm-hmm. Um, the bonds are. It's we're kind of in a, in an interesting position because we've been around so long that, and the design's been around so long that yes, you can get you pigeonholed in terms sure. of retro, and a lot of the younger, well, whatever you want to say. Uh, uh, younger people experimenting with old designs and so forth. And, yeah. Um, so that's helped us because people have opened their minds and so they've gotten on the on the boards. But also you tend to, we've tried to avoid getting lumped in with the, with the whole retro crowd because we make plenty of high-performance shortboards for a lot of extremely good surfers. Uh, many have them, but yeah, they just ride them recreationally because they ride for other people. Sure. And... Uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to get the benefit of that retro movement. It's just a shame that they're viewing it as a retro thing, you know, because it isn't. Yeah, I think it's softening a little bit. I, I, mean, I agree. Totally. I, I think that idea is softening a little bit. Um, the Internet helps a lot with that. I, I, when uh, a big change came for us when uh, Surfers Journal did uh, the article on us back, and I think it was 2004, mm-hmm. and when um, Steve Berlotti, uh, when he wrote the article, we we just that was the only stipulation that that we had is that 
we want to make sure that we bring out the fact that we're still making contemporary yeah. high-performance surfboards and that the Bonzer isn't isn't retro and in fact never was well to elaborate on that image of taylor knox um that you're talking about i mean that was a very high performance turn that that turn it's like he is full rail taylor knox at his finest like high performance surfing on that board yeah it's a beautiful photo yeah and the and the thing about that photo is that there that you can't see what happened afterwards but he didn't spin out right that that carried through right um and you know that was one of the main you know design characteristics that we uh, um, that we learned from the bonzer was being able to uh, you yeah. know have a, extreme extreme maneuvers with and still being able to carry the speed through the maneuver. Mm. Where did the name bonzer come from? It's an Australian slang word uh, meaning extraordinary or unique. It's an adjective. It's, you know, and uh, my dad ran across it again. You know, my dad happened to accidentally ran across it in uh, Oxford English Dictionary. And we were so enamored by what was going on with the Australian surf scene. And he happened to find that Australian word. And we just said, that's it. You know, I wonder what the um, genesis of the word is for our, in Australia. You know, um, like I always oh, it's been around a long time. I mean, I think even in the 1800s. It was used. Um, I know that what, there was an old, there was a series on years and years ago called the Thornbirds. It was like a you know TV miniseries. Yeah. It was Australian families, and I, and I think it was. I, I forget what years it was in, but I think it was maybe late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds that that it was going on. It might may have been in the twen- maybe up to the twenties or yeah. But we actually heard one. They were described. Someone had had a baby, and someone used it. They said that's a bonzer, you know, little baby, <laughs> a bonzer baby. You know, it's the only time I've ever heard it actually used sure. uh, in in uh, context. I'm interested. A lot of your initial designs came from understanding the hydrodynamics of boats, as you said. What's unique about um, the hydrodynamic principles applied to surfing as opposed to all other watercraft? I think it's where the energy comes from, uh, because you know you have a sail. If it's a sailboat, you have you know wind providing, mm-hmm. wind providing the the uh, energy to move you forward. Um, a motorboat, obviously, you have uh, external sort of power source, constant so, power you know, source. and constant power source. So that's what's unique about surfboards is that. You're utilizing the energy that exists within the wave. And then obviously you yourself are applying force at different points at the prop applying force and putting energy. Um, uh, that's the additional energy to, t- to help drive the board, uh, drive the board forward. But you are utilizing, you're trying to utilize the, the, um, the wave, the energy that exists within the wave. And that's constantly changing. Um, the surface is constantly changing its shape, mm-hmm. um, whether it's going from hollow to mushy or whatever. Right. So, in a sense, surfboards need to be somewhat uh, uh, generalized in a way. You can't make it too specific. You can make a board that'll go really fast. Right. That's easy. Sure. But it's not going to turn. Right. 
so the idea is to is the our idea always was to make something that is uh, really versatile and that can utilize the the energy that is created by the water passing underneath mm. the, by the water that's passing underneath you know the board and uh, so using the concaves to organize the concaves and the side fins because the angle on the side fins sort of match and do, and and fade into the concaves right. so the fins in a sense are, are an extension of the of the concaves and so what we were trying to do was organize the water flow to move more efficiently mm. underneath uh, uh, underneath the board and um you know, picturing uh, what's happening when you're doing a bottom turn is bo- the water's coming across the bottom of your board diagonally. Mm-hmm. So when you have that long side fin, um, now they're you know nine and three quarters on the uh, three fin and on the five fin, uh, the same amount of base but with the two side fins. So you've got nine and three quarters inches of base on your fin. So the inside rail. You're having all getting all that edge control, and the fins are angled out more, canted out more than any other fins, thrusters right. or, or uh, twin fins or anything. So when you do a bottom turn, your inside fins are fairly vertical in the water, which gives you very nice uh, edge control. And then the outside, the outside fins, having that nine and three quarters inches of base, that water that's coming diagonally across the bottom of the board doesn't just escape off the outside rail as unused energy. So what happens is it gets deflected down and back through the tail, which is really what helps give you a lot more of that forward uh, momentum. Right. And the fins being low profile, uh, they you know, can enter, exit, and enter the water uh, very easily. Sure. So you're just trying to, the idea was just to utilize as much of the existing energy that's uh, made available. Mm. Talking about um, pioneering some of these design aspects outside of the surf industry, people patent ideas to um, basically benefit their business, Mm -hmm. essentially. Is there ever any thought of that for you guys? And if there was, was, did you have an interest in doing it? What are your thoughts on that concept? Uh, I think like there's, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. There's. What I've seen now, though, in modern times is like Elon Musk, you know, with Tesla does these open source patents where his concept is there's some there's a greater good than just my personal business. And I think that we can expand the world market of um, electric vehicles if everybody's working on this idea. Right. Well, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good point. We um, I I mean, we had. With my dad, well, my dad was involved. I mean, there was a short, a split second, in a sense, of of thinking about, well, do you patent something like this or or what? But Duncan and I, from the get go, um, we had a very once we once we happened on and designed and refined the Bonzer to the point of where we we really knew. Uh, this was within two years. We knew okay. that that this was something that to be reckoned with, yeah. and that that and we wanted to we wanted to contribute to the development of surfboards, okay. more so than anything else, and contribute to surfing. Um, and that was uh, and in order to do that, that was the reason that we went to Bing. 
Um, well, we put out letters to a lot of companies, but Bing was the only one that responded. Um, it's because we wanted to get the idea out. Uh, and so the only thing we've done that way is, you know, we've copyrighted the name Bonser. Okay. Because we, we just wanted to have that name identification to the design and have that be, have that be, have that be ours. And but in terms of the design, basically our attitude became very quickly, you know, it's copyright for the world. Okay. I mean, that was our, our attitude. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. To add contextual history for the listener, like Bing was an important surfboard builder at that time. So you thought, we've got this idea and we're not going to be able to build boards on the level that Bing does, but perhaps they can take it and bring it to the masses who would then benefit from the design. Yeah. Well, we figured at, we've, we, we learned real quickly that just from the reaction locally, um, (laughs) you know, we were, uh, scoffed at to, and to say the least, but, um, uh, and we figured the only way we were going to get this design out was to have a reputable manufacturer do it. We sent out, like I said, we sent out a few, a few things we sent out to Weber and Jacobs and um, I forget who else, but Bing. And Bing was the only one that responded. And so, and Bing was really one of the top, if not, you know, top, you know, board builders at the time. And so, and Bing and Mike Eaton, uh, Mike was, you know, Bing's main, main shaper. So sure. those two guys were shaping the boards. Um, and we figured... It was really going to be the only way to get it out is to get a, a big name behind it. Yeah. So we took our garage shaped and glassed boards, which were pretty darn crude at that time in 73. Uh, and we had started taking Super 8 films already. So we had 
some Super 8 film and our boards. And, you know, Bing, Bing got back to us very quickly and, and uh, when we contacted them and we went down there and we showed them our little Super 8 movies and our embarrassingly crude uh, glass jobs and so forth and shapes. And they were, you know, they could see from the film mm -hmm. that the boards worked. Sure. And they looking at... So as well as the boards were working in the film and then looking at the the crude, you know, handy sure. handiwork, um, I think that probably added to a little bit of head scratching and go, well, you know, maybe we ought to check this out. Okay. And they were very gracious about the whole thing, being such a nice guy and Mike as well. And, um, and they just said, well, let's make a few. We'll have our team writers try them out. And if they think they work, we'll give it a go. And they had a really good team. I mean, Drew Harrison, Tiger Macon, Bacon Brothers, uh, Jim Neese. Um, I know I'm forgetting. I'm probably, oh, Mike Stevenson. So they had a lot of really top Southern California surfers. Mm. Um, so they made a couple. I shaped the bottom in the first uh, couple that they made. Okay. Um, Mike shaped and, and being shaped the boards. Um, and, the word came back that they worked, Good. and so Bing, they, they basically put together a full-on ad campaign. And when you look back, I mean, I look back at it and I just go, man, this just was amazing. I yeah. mean, they put, you know, we got because it was Bing, we got articles in Surfer and Surfing Magazine, and that pretty much, you know, it, it launched it in terms of. Uh, vis some visibility. Yeah. And uh, they did quite a few for a couple of years, and we stayed with him for a little over a year. And then Bing sold, actually, not sold, but licensed his uh, licensed Bing to uh, Gordon Smith. And so they moved down. So when the, all the licensing went through, they moved down to San Diego, and that was a lot farther for us to go than Hermosa Beach. And, yeah. And things didn't really work out that well. Uh, and uh, Mike, Mike was down working with him, and that was still great because Mike's an unreal guy. And but um, it just didn't work out too good for us, so we um, we didn't like the way things were going, and we so we just bailed okay. and uh, went back and started building. Came up and and started building boards up here. Um, in the seventies, I know PT was riding bonzers in Australia mm -hmm. and probably around the world to you know, success. Were they shaped by you guys or bang or no, actually PT made those. And oh, he did. Okay. What we Duncan just recently researched it's neat. A lot of artifacts are starting to show up. Okay, cool. Um, PT was, is a, a notorious record keeper. I, I've learned. And, uh, he has a, a, a handwritten note and diagram from Mike Eaton. Mike sent PT a little diagram and a note about showing the bonzer and Duncan like the uh, design PT file showed, basically. Yeah. He, yeah. He basically had a little hand drawn yeah. thing about the bonzer and the fins and, you wow. know, a note on it about these things really work. You might want to try it out. Wow. And, um, PT gave it a go. And, and lately we've learned over the last really five years only, we've learned how much more, Bonzer activity was going on down there than we ever, ever knew. Down there in Australia. In Australia. Right. And um, 
PT and some other guys, and then Terry Richardson made and and wrote some bonzers and uh, and quite a few other guys. And PT actually won. I think he won that. I think I think he won a Newcastle contest on which was a big contest back sure. then on a bonzer and. Mm. Um, so it was. It's been gratifying to kind of know how much uh, how much went on down there before. I mean, I mean that we didn't even we didn't even know about. Right. How has the design developed since the seventies? I know that at some point you introduced five fins, uh, two additional fins. Mm-hmm. What was that leap? And um... uh, well, the the main changes have been well. Was, well, we in eighty three we did do the five we did the five fin, which is really the exact same principle except for that we the easiest way to picture it is we took the front the front a little less than half of the original long fin and moved it out to the more toward the rail okay so you've still got the same amount of base but and then we obviously changed the the shape we changed the shape of the fins and so forth and so there's a little more fin area on the five fin than okay. the than the three fin but it puts some of that fin area more out toward the rail for so added, that was, added control essentially so basically it, it um it gave the boards a different riding characteristic in terms of probably uh quickness and ability to uh push the tail a, you know a little bit more uh, push the tail around a little bit more, and basically it was fitting. It fit more the way surfing was developing the approach. A certain amount surfing. of maybe um, like release or looseness with the control. Yeah, it's a little bit quicker. I think quicker is probably the okay. more of an op- the operative word than okay. loose. But yeah, I could say you could say loose and quicker. Quicker off the top, a little more pivoty, able to pivot off the top more quickly and control the uh maybe control of the tail in in uh, tighter situations on the wave in in the hook and so forth because you do see uh, certainly the professional modern surfers releasing the tail but with a great amount of control you know yes yeah well that's you um yeah they have control because they're so darn good of course yeah (laughs) (laughs) because when you when you do watch that's that's one of the big differences is a sidebar in a sense but one of the big biggest differences between a bonzer and 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 a, and a thruster um, normal tri fin is that um, with thrusters you do lose um, the tail will come loose you know much more easily mm-hmm. than uh, on a bonzer in terms of loose I mean spinning spinning out. We're not so much spinning out, but getting sideways mm-hmm. uh, drift and loss of, uh, in a sense, loss of, of momentum. Mm. Um, but the guys are so good that actually that that what we saw as the slight deficiency design-wise actually became something that was really incorporated into the repertoire and style and right. uh, of surfing, right? Um, because you know style approach and uh, the surfing approach obviously is is uni- is tied to design characteristics of, of the surfboards. So right again, that's a, you know, a diff- another a different different discussion. But. Well, I'm curious about that. Actually, um, do you follow professional surfing at all, or competitive surfing? Really? No, not that much. I okay. mean, obviously, I you know look to see, you know I'll look and see what. You know, I always see what guys are doing in terms of how, yeah. they're, how they're surfing and so forth. 
Well, my question is related to that and the point that you just made, which is um, like, I wonder how much professional competitive surfing uh, drives design or inhibits design, you know, because I feel like a lot of the, um, the areas we've gone down in design that have proven to not be that beneficial were driven by competitive surfing, like in the nineties, uh, really thin potato chip boards with a tremendous amount of rocker, you know, like that sort of thing. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Um, you know, professional competitive surfing either driving or inhibiting well it cuts both it cuts both ways okay um from you know i don't mean to uh take the political answer but it does cut but you're right it yeah. does cut both ways in the sense it does slow design down um in some ways and that and and but that's mainly that's mainly because i think that a lot of shapers over the years began to uh they began to come become more influenced by the surfers, yes. by the riders, rather than maybe um, sticking with some of maybe uh, maybe would differ with different individuals or experiment because the guys yeah. these guys uh, these guys have just been in, in such credible incredible surfers right and so they'll find something that goes good for them right and then the shaper says oh okay and then they'll build. They'll build that, and then through transference of media and so forth, then you know, well, you know, Kelly's writing this, or Taylor's writing that, or Rob's, you know, whoever. Um, uh, so that tend, then that starts to drive design in a particular a particular direction. Yeah, some of that, um, some of that works for the benefit of pushing design forward and then some of it can slow you know it can slow things down because people are trying to sell boards and you want to sell you want to make stuff that's going to sell yeah and uh the the quandary in my mind i think is that like ultimately it comes down to the judges giving a score on a wave that dictates who's winning these world titles or whatever and if those judges have a predefined criteria, then they're really setting the ultimate bar that you're trying to achieve. Now the surfer's trying to hit those targets. So he's requiring something of the shaper in order for him to hit that target, which really limits creativity on the shaper's behalf. I feel like the best evolutions that we've made come from this creative expression via the shaper. And then you pursue, pursue these paths. The other example I just gave is the exact opposite. It's like a trickle down from the judges rather than a trickle up from the shaper, you know? Yeah. But I think that that, that professional tour gives great visibility to showcase the quality of these designs, but there's also danger in that, I guess, is my thought. Well, yeah, again, it's, it's both things happening simultaneously. Yeah. The narrower, thinner boards allowed people to utilize different parts of the wave, right. literally get into certain types of waves that are extremely hollow and pitching out and so right. forth that were much more difficult to, to be able to get into and to maneuver properly with you know, a board with bulkier rails or, right. or more volume. Um, it... it but it just, you know, sort of went to the extreme. It went mm. to the extreme. Um, so on the one hand, it showed, it opened up 
a new um, new possibilities in terms of wave riding. Right. But the extreme to the, that the boards went to made it more difficult for average guys to surf well. Right. Exactly. So in the rarefied atmosphere of this extreme talent, it was beneficial. Sure. And it opened shapers and opened other surfers' minds to being able to to ride waves in in ride different parts of the waves more functionally or at all. Right. I mean I just I remember a quote from, from Duncan back in when Kelly was I don't know, it wasn't it was a, he was a few years on to the North Shore. Um and Duncan because we're always looking at we were looking at the the uh the five late eighties, early nineties and so forth is what what are we gonna do with the five fin? Because we just we had set it aside. We did it in eighty three okay. and it worked great, but the thruster was coming on super strong and, and it was gonna and it was a good design and so it, you know, it was yeah. gonna happen. So there was no sense in us trying to, you know, buck the, the tidal wave that sure. was was coming along. So we just we rode them, made them for our friends. The reason I, I mention this is because when Kelly really came on and made his uh, his his presence really felt on the North Shore, I remember Duncan saying to me that in watching Kelly sometimes, it was like he was manipulating matter. Hmm. Because where he was going and what he was doing on the waves perceptually was... You just didn't think in those terms. That, that you didn't think in those terms, and that this was going to happen. And partly that was because of his equipment, and partly because of his extreme talent. So for us, and so we just said, "That's it. We're the you know the our the five thing." We were thinking, okay, we're still going to be buried for quite some time, because with this quantum change in 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 performance yeah. of surfing. This, the structure design is going to is going to be strong right. and and move on for quite some time. So hmm. again, it works both ways. We yeah. we feel that we had a competitive, not only competitive, more than competitive design, but we weren't going to be able to compete in that arena, right? Because you had the high levels of talent, professional surfing, media, and everything else sure. was going in this direction. Sure. So interesting. It, it's it again. It 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 goes both ways. It works both ways. What are the limitations of the Bonzer design? I don't believe there have they've been reached yet. We don't know, and you can only people go. Why don't you do something different? Well. Yeah, I can do something different. We can do something different, but what's the point? Mm. We haven't reached because deficiency, inefficiency, inefficiency is what drives evolution. Mm. So you need to you need to find the deficiencies and shortcomings of stuff before you can, you know, before you can improve it because that's what gives you the map. That's that gives you the map in order to right. for future design. So we've been fortunate over the last 10, 15 years uh, to have more top surfers ride the boards for a bit, push the boards farther than obviously 
we ever did or ever can. Yeah. You know, I'm 63 now. I'm not pushing, you know, I'm not pushing design right. forward with my <laughs> surfing abilities anymore. So, so you need, you do need the, you need, you do need the top, you know, the top level mm-hmm. surfers to get on your equipment and push it as much as possible. In the last 10 years, we've had a lot more top guys, um, you know, guys of really high level experience right and talent to ride the boards and and push the design and that's you know that's really for us it's not that that part of it's not even it's not even commercial in a sense because i mean it helps every once in a while a picture of somebody will show up riding the boards but those guys most of the guys have you know they have board sponsors and so forth and they ride the boards recreationally but for us it's good because we can we can see guys with extremely high levels of surfing go out and ride the boards and and basically our attitude is trial by fire go for it see if you if you can outsurf this board and you can mm-hmm. you can outsurf this design i should say not necessarily the board because obviously you know boards a matter of fine tuning for sure. the individual but if you can outsurf this design and find the deficiencies we're glad to hear it well, I saw Mick Fanning riding one of your boards two years, the year that he won the world title, mm-hmm. the last year he won the world title, which I think was two years ago. So I'm riding one of your boards on the North Shore, obviously that Taylor Knox stuff. And I've seen him riding it in Mexico as well, that footage, mm-hmm. which is really impressive. I've seen Joel Tudor riding your boards. Mm-hmm. Um, what feedback do you receive from those guys? Do they actually, I mean, you're talking about go ahead and try to, you know, best the design, but... Do you receive feedback directly from them? Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of the guys will let us know if the boards work um, and how they work. What um, have you heard? Well, what we hear is the boards work unreal, <laughs> and then you think, okay, so take the next step, but. That's really where we're at. Okay. Uh, that next step of seriously committing to putting consistent consistent time in on the boards at that level of uh, hasn't um, uh, that hasn't materialized yet, and that's something that because. I mean, Duncan's got a list of people that, you know, make your ears bleed of guys that have ridden the boards and the feedback they, you know, they give, you know, because he's on the North Shore. And so a lot of the guys will stumble into the shop and uh, over there next to the restaurant, the Bonser Front, and try a board here, try a board there. And, you know, there's just an incredible amount of really talented guys that that ride the boards. And, I mean, I... I, I I don't mean, I'm not trying to exaggerate or anything, but every single one of them has a good go on the boards, and not only a good go, they're really surprised initially how well they work. I mean, Taylor's been riding the boards on and off, you know. I mean, sp- you know, just sporadically. I mean, for you know, for 16 years. Okay. And Joel just, in fact, he just you know did a little post on Instagram to a picture, a thing I put up of some of the rest short models. Joel's, we made 15, you know, almost 15 years ago, we made Joel, uh, you know, a three-fin bonser and, and a five-fin. He got a five-fin egg back then. And so he's been riding, you know, so a lot of these guys, there's some incredible footage of Rob riding one and Rob Machado riding one and some lefts in Chile. 
And to a person, they love the way the boards work. Mm. And they could, you know, but everybody's, you know, everybody's doing their different thing. I mean, either you have a board sponsor or you're onto your own, you know, you kind of, you know, your own thing. And are there, what are the limitate, what's the stumbling block between take to take that next step? I mean, or do you have any interest in being a board sponsor and supplying somebody who is on that top level with a quiver of boards throughout the year? Well, for one thing, economically, it's just impossible. Well, let's talk so, about that. I'm, yeah. So that's something we, we couldn't do. And in terms of, of for like I, I mentioned before, for us having these guys ride the boards, in, in a sense, now it's become sort of almost a... Uh, it's sort of an academic pursuit in the okay. sense of learning and seeing, okay, you guys, you know, ride the boards, but see how it goes. And, it, and again, like I say, we're up for, you know, yeah. criticism, suggestions or whatever. So in that sense, it's, and it's, and also again, some personal, it's personal, personal vindication in the sense mm-hmm. of here's designs we've been working on for, for, well, what's 83 that, you know, for the five fin and 1970 for the three fin to see something that's been around 45 years and see guys go out and surf to their uh, potential. A recent example of that is uh, there's some recent footage that showed up, different things, of Alex Nose riding a three-fin three fin monster. Not much different than a board we did in 1973. Okay. And he can go out and surf to the top of his ability in 2015 on a board, on a design that is, you know, 42 years old. Right. To us, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Personally. Um, obviously, I make my living shaping. We got to, you know. Right. Got to make a, a few bucks. But at this point we've we've sort of realized the space that we were inhabiting inhabiting and um settled in on the idea of sharing the design both with shapers other shapers and you know with uh, with surfers and trying to uh, when we had the opportunity to have top guys get on and try the boards and ride them you know, even if it's just a couple times a year yeah. recreationally or whatever and, right. and benefit, you know, and, and sort of benefit with that and, and keep keep pushing things forward uh, that way. And um, in all seriousness, the last year and a half since I, you know, we met Alex a uh, year and a half ago and he's put more time on bonzers than, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of the than, you know, most of the uh, kind of top-level guys that uh, yeah. have been riding them. I mean, Taylor's been riding them on and off for a lot of years. And Alex has put a lot of time in the last year and a half and learned Good. about them and, and riding them. And that's been, you Good. know, it's been interesting because this really was sort of out of left field. Sure. Because I'm not, I'm pretty much hunkered down and to myself. Duncan sees more people in Hawaii, but, yeah. uh, but well, he approached us and yeah, it was I'm, interesting. I'm glad to hear that because he is an incredible surfer and I've seen him surf a lot around, you know, where I live and surf for a long time. And um, I feel like he's done himself a disservice at times riding boards that limit his ability. His ability is so great and he rides these old, outdated, archaic designs that never worked that well when they got introduced. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's probably got reasons why he's riding those, but I'm glad to see that he's on functional equipment, you know? 
Because I've seen some of the footage you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, well, the interesting thing about that was, is I mean, I, you know, Alex, he, he's, uh, yeah, he's definitely an interesting cat. And he, um, and, uh, you know, the, de- the degree of difficulty is raised on a lot of the equipment he rides, and he still surfs the stuff really well. Totally. Getting on the getting on the on the bonds are what we're surmising, and I've it's it's allowed him to ride this more that kind of style of board, wide point forward, seventies right. uh, type style uh, of a board, but with the bonzer, with the increased performance that the bonzer uh, gives any shape. It allows him to ride that style of board and do the things that he likes to do much easier, right? And yeah. more efficiently. Yeah, that's and a good. Point. That's kind of the the difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that board design has been somewhat stymied by probably certain things, but one of the things that you mentioned, which is just profitability, like it's a low profit thing. Are there any limitations that you see to board design currently? I would say thinking is what's mostly held, held board, held slowed board design for many years, um, and part of it's part of that is financial, but because you need to make boards enough boards to to survive and so forth, and uh, the bonzers were always more difficult to produce and. So some people didn't want to hassle with glassing on all those, you know, glassing on all those fins and so forth. So that kept some, you know, that kept some people from uh, wanting to make bonzers and maybe other things. Right. Um, but I just really think that a lot of it has to do with, it just has to do with a lack of, of creativity hmm. and there is a lot of creativity you know creative people right. in the surfboard industry incredible shapers incredible craftsmen but um who among them i mean I, are, or who among them are undervalued do you think as a pioneer of a design that's been undervalued whose work currently exists that you think is kind of being overlooked um yeah I got that's hard for me to say because not because I don't know um because I, I know a lot of a lot of guys are doing really good work it's um it's embarrassing to maybe embarrassing to even say but I really kind of just I don't pay much attention to what's um I see really nice boards by a lot of people sure I mean you know, you can, the list is, if I name a few, I'm going to leave, leave out a, a lot of yeah. few. But suffice to say that there's a lot of really incredible shaping going on and, and uh, in, in terms of, in terms of quality, you know, craftsmanship from long boards to short boards, alternative boards. I mean, the old guys, some newer guy, you know, some relatively uh, newer guys and there's just beautiful. And now with all the great glassing and stuff, there's a lot of beautiful surfboards. Sure being made most of those surfboards though design wise it's all derivative of you know past stuff and even duplicating you know past you know past things but um i've i've taken the position really for quite some time of just i don't go to surfing i don't go to sites i don't go to surfboard sites i don't go to surf sites i pretty much am just focused on you know on what on what 
improving what I do in terms yeah. of of shaping and uh, obviously you know influences you know come through and someone will ask me can, I'd really like a board but can we do this you know this tail shape on it or that tail shape on it and and if I need to you know check out what they're referencing you know, sure then I'll then I'll do that and incorporate it I mean we're in no ways in no way shape or form do we um uh, uh, have any any reticence to incorporate sure. um, things that are, are that are functional that other people have done in terms of template shape and so forth? But obviously, we stick with you know doing the bonzers, and we've been maniacally focused on that for you know forty five years. So. Um. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Do you ride anybody else's surfboards? Um, it's if I trade with somebody in the water or something. But um, are there any projects or design experiments that you're currently working on? Um, you know, we've done a little more variety of templates, uh, different template shapes in the last few years, surely because people have you know people have asked for it. I mean, mm -hmm. because before we were always into short wide boards, but for years people weren't really riding short wide boards. So I don't tend to, we don't tend to make things just for the sake of making them. Sure. Um, it's, it's really more, you know, a form follows function, mm -hmm. uh, uh, issue, issue with us. And, um, so we don't do, you know, it can look a little bit stale and stagnant maybe from the outside because we don't add specifically come up with like new models and names of, things every every year we do a lot of custom boards in between but you're making boards that are but if we do a, a custom board for somebody we don't say turn it into a model right and, and this and that so we've kept our our model range relatively uh relatively small but then within that within that between mixing and matching with those and doing incorporating you know yeah. template shapes that uh, other people might might be doing and a customer says hey i want to try that i really like the looks of this shape but you know i'd like to try it as a bonzer and it's, okay you know, let's let's do it yeah your logo advises to be mindful can you talk about that uh yeah that was a, that logo we came up with in the 70s um 70 i think that logo was probably from about 76 or so 70 well yeah, seventy five, seventy six, and um, it you know was during a time when we were expanding our ideas and thoughts about various things philosophically, spiritually, and whatnot. And and mindfulness obviously comes out of the Buddhist tradition. Um, ours we put uh, an extra L on there. It says mindful. It's not spelled properly, but it's a little bit of a you know sort of a you know just a, a double meaning in the sense there of. of um, but yeah, it came out of our, and it has the the pyramid and the triangle and the pyramid in the center and uh, that, and you know that had to do with a lot of you know things we were we were learning about and studying and and uh, sort of that old, old 
not to coin a phrase, but uh, consciousness expansion movement back then. And, mm-hmm. and so we've always in, tried to incorporate, and along with the Be Mindful logo, and then we've signed, you know, peace on uh, all of our board, every board since, you know, I don't know what the first year we did that was probably in, you know, sometime around 72 or 73, just signed peace uh, over the serial number of the board. And, and so we've, we've, we've just really tried to incorporate, you know, our, in some small way, you know, keep the, keep there from being any separation between our basic, you know, philosophical ideas about things and our, yeah. you know, and our surfboards. Over those years, um, what has changed for you philosophically and what has not wavered at all philosophically? We probably haven't really changed that much. Um, obviously, you know, your knowledge base increases. Yeah. But um, we, we've we really tried to bring forward uh, and bring forward what we learned when we were younger uh, during that time of, you know, whatever, late 60s into the, you know, mid-70s of, you know, sort of the, um, whatever you want to call it, it was sort of more toward the tail end of the counterculture movement, but, but um, you know, through the experimentation with psychedelics and so forth and the positive side that came out of that in terms of expanding ways of thinking and approaching, you know, approaching problems and obviously not the abuse of that, which you know, happened as well, but... But to try to bring the good things that that try to bring what good we learned and uh, from those times and and uh, you know it was the end of the you know tail end of the heavy parts of the civil rights movement and then the anti war movement and the peace move you know peace movement and the beginnings of the environmental movement and all that stuff good stuff was happening and so in this day and age when people sort of treat the 60s very tritely and condescending, the 60s and early 70s in a condescending manner. Um, we really have tried to, to bring all the good that, that we learned through that time mm-hmm. uh, forward and not run away from it. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people that I know, of my peers and contemporaries, you know, people, they buckled down, they got their, you know, got their nine to fives, raised a family and, and in a lot of ways, many, many people, and I think that's one of the problems we have politically these days is people in my generation, um, they basically walked away from a lot of the, uh, the ethos, that right. uh, the positive side of the ethos that developed back then. And I think it's led to, uh, it's, it's led to you know, a, a, a very problematic drift in, yeah. uh, in society, not only environmentally, but politically and, you know, just uh, justice wise, you know, justice wise, and everything else. So, so we really we've tried to bring forward bring forward what we did learn, and as well as continue to that's nice. continue to expand our, our awareness. It, there's a theme in things that we've talked about here. I mean, talking about psychedelics, and then um, that professional competitive expression of the potato chip surfboard, and then even talking about your concaves as an example, where you have to almost go out to a distant extreme when experimenting with something, 
But inevitably, the answer is the more refined version of that. Like when experimenting, you got to go out and just try the most extreme version to see how it works. And then you realize the benefit and the negative of it. And then you scale back, refine it. And that becomes the model. You know? Yeah, well, it's a, yeah, it's kind of a natural, you know, it, it's it sort of a natural e- evolution of things. And um, you know what? What um, again? Time time plays a part in that because what what seems extreme at one at one point, you know, gradually over time, right. uh, you know, may not may not uh, may not cease be so extreme. I mean, with ours, um, you know, it's like well. Airplane, you know, an airplane. I mean, yeah, it seemed extreme at you know at first. You know, the the basic physics and aerodynamics and so forth that allowed the physics of that that allowed a plane to fly. You know, that all remained the same. Mm-hmm. It obviously remains the same, but refi- again, like you say, you know, refinement in you know refinement and design comes right. over time and development of tech. You know, technology right. and I mean. There are certain things that you can that are extreme ideas that you can't you can't produce at right. a certain point in time. Say Da Vinci or, or whoever, you know, there was a lot of great ideas and flying machines and so forth. But without the, you know, they were theorized, but without the uh, the technical ability and materials sure. to to. Uh, you know to rep to uh to build those designs and actualize the design principles right. um you know it takes it takes time what's your current relationship like with surfing i mean how often do you surf oh uh, not not enough <laughs> between work and and uh whatever injuries or or this or that not injuries but yeah yeah injuries or whatnot different things uh, you know i'm not surfing quite enough but trying to surf more again because time's moving on and and i want to try to surf as much you know yeah as much as we can duncan still surfs a lot in hawaii yeah. um and uh so yeah in terms of relationship with surfing i mean whether i'm surfing or not you're making a surfboard and so you're constantly mm-hmm. thinking about surfing mm-hmm. because what you're making has to you know it has to work yeah. it has to you're tra- somebody has some ideas they want to board you're translating their ideas into a functional piece of equipment to work and so you're always visualizing you're always you know so even though i'm not in the water you're still thinking a lot about it um the brand is campbell brothers Mm -hmm. what is that relationship like um from a business standpoint if somebody orders a board who's making it and all that uh i'm shaping it um except for this lately my son jacob who's living in hawaii um i have twin sons and uh uh, Ian lives in Los Angeles, and uh, Jacob's in Hawaii, living over near near Duncan, and um, he's actually doing you know shaping is he shaving some boards now over there, and you know we've got you know with the advent of the, obviously with the shaping machines and whatnot, uh, you know we can do have the files you know and have the boards cut over there, and Jacob's very very he's very good at doing the concaves and finishing everything out and. And so he's been doing a few boards, cool. and as far as Campbell Brothers, yeah, it's Duncan and I, and and um, I for you know, Duncan stopped shaping, except for well, he he would shape a board every now and again, but he he stopped shaping you know consist at a consistent basis back in you know say 1976, and then he's done boards now and again, but I pretty much make made all the boards, and, right? 
Um, like I say now Jacob's doing a few and, you know, we use the shaping machine somewhat, um, depends how busy I am. Sure. You know, I'll still hand shape six, depending on how busy we are, but I'll hand shape 60, you know, 60% of the, the boards, but sure. the concaves, every concave on every bonzer is hand shaped because oh, yeah. the machines don't cut the bonzer concaves in. They, sure. those programs don't, uh, won't do that. But yeah, so Duncan and I, I mean, we, it's always been really close. He's been living in the North shore since 82. Right. And, uh, but you know, we have super close relationship and without him, uh, actually him being in Hawaii and surfing the North shore all those years and having contact with, with, uh, you know, the, the, the scene, so to speak, right. uh, it's been a big part of keeping the, the Bonser project, you know, moving ahead. I mean, Duncan, you know, Duncan and Davey Miller really, you know, showed that, put time in on the North Shore and showed the board's work there and, right. and um, you know, kept things alive. Um, final question for everybody interviewed is just what was the last surfboard that you rode? Um, actually, I made a... Um, I actually made, I had to make a board for a file for some boards we're doing with Patagonia, and it was a 6.7, one of the rush short models. So I had to make a board for them to 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 create to create a file off of. And so I said, oh, heck, I'll just make one for myself. And uh, and I rode that, a three-fin one. And what What so. is it? What length? And explain uh, it's, what it's, the rush short one, is. It's rush short. Beca- it became known that... Uh, kind of naturally we didn't specifically name it that but people were saying i want to ride one of those boards like russ is riding and then we just sort of gave into it and said okay well i guess it's going to be the rush short model it's basically a 70s our 70s sort of mainstay the mainstay template that we were using during the mid you know mid to late 70s uh sort of wide point forward diamond tail you know, a lot of people, it wasn't anything super unique other than that it was a bonzer. I mean, it was more mm-hmm. of a single fin, 70s kind of single fin template. Yeah. And uh, again, wide point forward, 70s profile with the beak, no, you know, thicker beak nose. Mm-hmm. And, and that board is, we've made so many of them. It's been, it's been really surprising to me how many we've done um, and the feedback yeah. on them, both Mostly three fins, but some five fin versions. Did you see the Instagram that Pat Towersy posted a day or two ago? Um, he posted a photo of Kai Lenny oh, riding yeah. it. And yeah, it, without without. I think it said he did. He was riding it without the center fin. Right. <laughs> I what I remember Pat uh, saying was that that is the best board that he's ever ridden. Oh, it's his yeah. favorite board. Right. Yeah, he did say that. We got to make him another one because he had broken it. I think he put it back together, and I think that oh. picture is after it was put back together. Oh, okay. He's had that board for quite a few years. Yeah, that's Pat, what I mean. Pat rides everything. I know. Like Pat rides high performance thruster short boards and does airs, and then he rides mm-hmm. crazy long paddle boards, you know, on giant waves. Mm-hmm. And and he said that was the best board right. he's ever. Had. I again, I'm. It's it's been it's been pleasantly more than pleasantly surprising, yeah. but it's been uh, because I've made them for really good surfers, and we've made them for you know regular sur- you know guys whether they were um, guys in their you know sixties, fifties, forties, and lately now some younger guys are are trying them, and the feedback 
is it's like I say, it's just been yeah. it's been it's been gratifying, but more than anything else, it's just really interesting because people are going out on those boards and surfing. It gives them what is done is you can ride something that's got that sort of vintage look yeah. and volume and so forth, but you can surf it at the top. You can surf it to at the top of your ability. Right. It's not going to limit. Obviously, the template shape dictates a little bit in terms of uh, you know uh, in terms of the characteristics of riding, but you can still surf to the to the top of your ability on the boards. And I think that's you know that's what's been surprising to people. And I think that's what what's you know I was in France. I did you know a couple uh, a few weeks ago, and you know. Fifteen of them, even in France, we've mm-hmm. done, uh, you know, a ton here, and it's yeah, it's been it's been it's been a lot of fun, and like I say, it's very interesting. It's got to be gratifying to see that feedback. Yeah, it is. It's cool because I mean, it just I mean, the gratifying part of it is because we we went out on the limb when we were kids, and we said we knew we had something that was of value, um, and that was our prime, and we felt that we had. Because we we really believed and knew, really in every fiber of uh, of our being, that this design had value, that we had a response. We took it on as a responsibility. Um, again, not to blow our horn, but the the Bonzer would not be being served all over the world today if we hadn't of just you know maniacally stuck with it. Right and. We just shaped them. We weren't making our living off of it. I always had a second job up until less than ten years ago. I always had a sec- second job, yeah. and we continued to make the boards because and keep it available, keep it alive. Uh, because again, we really cared about contributing to uh, to surfing and, and surfboards, and that was really the the fundamental the fundamental drive to right. you know, keep it keep it alive. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, well, thanks for your time. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Bonzer5.com is the website. Or, of course, just come over to surfsplendorpodcast.com. We'll have a link to Bonzer5.com, as well as photos, videos of everything that we discussed in today's episode. All of it's on surfsplendorpodcast.com, as well as an entire archive of every past episode of Surf Splendor, all 86 of them. It's all for free. Come check it out. Leave a comment on today's show's page and engage, all right? Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this show with friends. Thank you for your generous reviews on iTunes. And follow us on social media at Surf Splendor. All right, we'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Surf News. Until then, this is your host, David Scales, signing off of Surf Splendor and reminding you to shred on. Shred on.